done a podcast before? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah with Mike Kaplan. Okay. M-Y-K, Mike. He's a comic. M-Y-K? Yeah, that's how he spells Mike. Huh. Um, he was uh, a stand-up. He was one of the winners of uh, Last Comic Standing. Oh. And so he knows a lot of Is this show solo? folks. and Yeah, I think it's just starting again wow. in a couple of weeks. Or maybe even this week. Huh. I'm a big... Just in time. Yes. <laughs> Why? Why is it just in time? <laughs> just, just like I asked, and you were like, "Oh, oh, it's this oh yes, week, oh, so, very good. Oh, good. Yes. I can, I can start it up." Yeah. Good timing, do, you wa- do you watch it sometimes? Um, no. I used to. I watched like the first uh, one or two seasons like religiously. Right. But then they, I think they changed the format at some point. Oh, did they? And you started seeing the same jokes, and it became like. Oh. It was like they were that recycling. Seem like before. a good plan. No, it was really strange. I don't know. Well, you know, a comic is going to use his jokes over and over again. <laughs> totally, I get that. If you're competing, though. But the way that they edited it, it was like you were seeing the same jokes. Oh, yes. Like, oh, like, I see what you mean. Like when yeah. they would have a new venue, Uh huh. they'd repeat the jokes. Okay. And the audience would laugh. Right, you'd because be it was like, a new venue. Yes, but you'd be like, I've seen it already. Yes. <laughs> Give me something fresh. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Totally. Well, uh, welcome, Robin. Thank you. Uh, welcome to episode 29 of Sidekickback Radio. Very nice. Very nice, yes. 29? Yes, I'm almost at 30. Whoa. You know, once you hit 30, it's... <laughs> you know what they say. <laughs> it's all downhill. Never trust any podcaster over 30. <laughs> no. Um, and it is uh, July 22nd, 2015. And um, I guess today is Robin Riker. So everybody, please welcome Robin. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like I should have a studio audience. People just sit <laughs> or, on the or bed. Or at least the button that the disc jockeys push. You know? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, and we're meeting today because uh, I we met at a reading of Stan Zimmerman's play. Right. Or uh, A Knife to the Heart, Knife one of the heart. first drafts. Right. And uh, you played my mom. Yep. Wonderfully. <laughs> Thank you. My You're one. a good boy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's pretty easy for me to play a nice Jewish boy. <laughs> Um, and you played a, a nagging Jewish mother very well. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> you are much. very welcome. And, uh, no, you mentioned there that you had a book that you had just released called right. A Survivor's Guide to Hollywood. How to Play the Game Without Losing Your Soul. Yes. And and we'll talk about a, a lot about the soul. It seems like a lot of your book is about the soul yeah. and its relation to the actor, you know, and, yes. and vice versa. And life. And life. Yes. It, it, it gets deep, but it's also super positive and playful. Good. So, I'm glad you you found it so. I I yeah. that's was my intent to make it approachable and fun and have some laughs and I wanted to laugh too. So <laughs> mission accomplished. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and I think what kind of typifies this the approach to I mean your career and everything is that you always you always celebrate everything with a drink. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> a little too much last night, actually. Oh, really? But, uh, yes, it was my anniversary. <laughs> no, well, that's, we a, that's worth celebrating that, a little too much. Definitely worth celebrating. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, yeah it's important. I th- every little thing, not just a job, but a good audition or getting an agent or meeting a new friend or something, anything. Life is, should be celebrated, all the good things. We tend to feel if we didn't, you know walk on the moon or land the lead in the next epic film, you know, that we didn't accomplish anything, but that's not true. Totally. Accomplish yeah. good things every day and they have to be acknowledged. Yeah. With alcohol, if possible. With alcohol. <laughs> Champagne. Champagne. What was, what was the quote from Napoleon? It oh, was... uh, in victory, you deserve champagne. In defeat, you need it. Yes. I love that quote. <laughs> that was a good poll. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, 
So I know that we'll kind of repeat things that are in the book that I've read, but it's okay. I think it'll be good for the listeners to like hear about how your story and how you got here, you know? Um, and so, I mean, first of all, you're, where are you from originally? I know you bounced around a lot as right. a kid. You moved uh, around a lot. I was born in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. My, fa- my parents were actors. And uh, my dad had been uh, on Broadway as a youth and in radio as, a, as what they called the juvenile at the time on uh, various radio shows and then went off to win World War II. And when he came back, he resumed his career and went to university at Syracuse and uh, met my mom there. And uh, they fell in love and got married and did theater and moved back to New York City where they were working. And that's where I was born. Very nice. And so would you call that home? Oh boy, it feels like home. I've I've never lived anywhere. Well, now that I've been in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but prior to moving to Los Angeles, I'd never lived in any town longer than two years, ever. Mm-hmm. And I was just calculating the other day that I lived in something like thirty-seven different houses wow. since I was born. <laughs> so we we bounced around a lot, and uh, my uh, father had a television ser- uh, show. In Pennsylvania, it was a children's television show called Captain Rick's Showboat. And uh, and so my mother was writing and directing for theater there, and my dad had that show. And then they got the idea that they wanted to start their own theater, legit theater. And they got together with a few of their friends that they had met at the university who were currently living in Aspen. So anyway, they, got, uh, par- they partnered with uh, friends of theirs in Aspen and started the Aspen Playhouse. Mm. And... Uh, Interestingly enough, as a child, when I came to Hollywood many years later, I uh, ran into a couple of actors that had worked with my folks in that theater. So the theater was in uh, a big tent in the summertime and then in the Wheeler Opera House, uh, which was built in the late 1800s in the winter. Wow. Yeah. Is it like a big opera house? Yes, big. It's a, well, it's it's Victorian, so it's yeah. not. Uh, but like the tiered balconies and everything. Yeah, and, they have wow. a. Yeah, it was. Crazy. It's just lovely, really lovely. But then my mother said, they. Uh, my parents ended up getting a divorce in true showbiz fashion, mm-hmm. and um, they. Uh, uh, my mom said that, but one of the reasons they decided they weren't going to do the theater at the Wheeler Opera House anymore is because there was no elevator. It was the opera house itself was on the third floor, <laughs> of the building, and skiers you know, who are used to having a lift, literally. <laughs> they weren't going to go up three flights, she said. <laughs> but anyway, I think the divorce had more to do with it. Than, than I got you. Could you imagine, though, like starting a theater group today and then being like, oh, we'll just use that opera house. Like, I feel that real estate is so expensive now. Oh, I know. It's insane. You know what? I never thought of that. Yeah. That's, That's why when you said opera house, I was like, whoa. Like, what? Like, <laughs> like, imagine starting a theater group and then you're just like, you know what, in the winter time, let's... Well, we just like this space, if you don't mind. <laughs> we'll take the Victorian tiered yeah. opera house. Yeah. I, I, never, <laughs> I never thought of that. Interestingly, my... Oh, no, I guess it was later. Uh, because after they divorced, Mom went to University of Colorado at Boulder mm-hmm. and got her uh, uh, master's and did her dissertation on the theater and the, and the opera house in Aspen uh-huh. because of the, uh, you know, it was the silver rush that got Aspen started. Yeah. And uh, so it was fascinating, all the all the stories and all the personalities and performers and not, and whatnot who came through, mm-hmm. you know, to entertain at the Opera House. So, at the Opera House, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so where did you attend high school? Nottingham High School in Syracuse, New York. And that was that all four years? 
No, I just or... went there. I know, okay, again with jumping around. <laughs> I went to I went to tenth, uh, eleventh, and half of twelfth gotcha. there. I graduated okay. early. And in high school, were you a performer? Like, did you discover that bug early on? Oh yeah, I started when I was two. Mm-hmm. My uh, parents had a very practical philosophy: if you have children, use them. <laughs> and uh, but we had to audition for everything. We couldn't. We couldn't. We were just given roles. Yeah. But my very first job was uh, uh, in the play *The Littlest Angel*. Mm-hmm. And my very first line was, "Daddy, why is a star on top of the Christmas tree?" <laughs> and then he tells the story. And uh, so I've been on stage since I was yeah two. And so in high school, the the, the drama department was like your thing. And... Yeah, but you know. It, not in high school. It was so strange because mm. we one of the, we'd gone to Boulder and then we went to Atlanta where my mother was executive manager of Theater Atlanta there. And then we moved to South Dakota where she was teaching college, teaching mm-hmm. theater. And um and you and I was super active there. There were all sorts of uh, you know, declamation contests and people and I was kind of blowing away the competition because <laughs> I'd grown up doing Shakespeare. Yeah. You know, and the classic plays and most of the kids were doing, you know, the little matchstick girl or the little boy and his dog who got hit by a train or whatever. And I did a spliced together piece of from Richard III, <laughs> playing both Richard and Lady Anne. And um, and so I <laughs> didn't quite know what to make of that. Yeah. But, uh, but I got very high marks. But anyway, um, I, so then when I determined, it found, I found out that we were going to be moving to Syracuse, I thought, oh, New York again, this is going to be fabulous. They'll have all kinds of stuff going on. And they had nothing. Yeah. The school was, was as far as I know, I, I don't remember there ever being a, th- a theater club or a mm-hmm. school play or anything like that. I may have not been paying attention, but I, I think I would have been at that yeah. point. But just, I did theater around uh, Syracuse. There yeah. was a Salt City Playhouse and gotcha. some others. So. Which is, I love I love finding out people's high school experiences because, first of all, they're almost always just, like, awful or, like, <laughs> or, like very difficult. Um, very few people go, oh, I loved high school. Best time of my life. <laughs> you know? We do things that are, like, not what we end up doing, but we, like, kind of discover it's, like, this weird time. Very And weird. so what were you into when you were in high school? What was I into when I was in high school? Writing. I wrote a lot and uh, smoked a little weed and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, did theater, but it was not mm-hmm. at the school. It was my my mom was in the theater department there, mm-hmm. obviously. Again, she was now working on her doctorate, and um, so I, I I don't know. I was you know because my mom was a single mother at this point, and my older brother. There were only three of us. I'm the only girl, mm-hmm. and my older brother was off in the army somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of responsibility. I did a lot. I took care of my younger brother from the time he was born he was born in aspen and so i was you know sterilizing bottles and washing diapers and taking care of him and cooking and cleaning and going to third grade you know so i i was i had a lot of responsibility yeah so that was you know sort of just it was like being a little mom actually most of the time for that that's very that's a lot of responsibility yeah yeah it was it makes you grow a lot i'm sure yeah quickly i've gotten younger the older i've gotten chronologically (laughs) you're like now it's my time to throw fits exactly (laughs) right um so i normally ask the question if you go back in time and and look in your cd player what cd is in there Mm -hmm. um 
do you see one or is it is it a vinyl record i'd imagine or oh <laughs> yeah it would be it would be a record it would be vinyl um and it would be uh well the beatles yeah and uh and one i played and played and played this one elvis presley record i think it was called king creole huh <laughs> and i played that a lot i like that one a lot nice. and then of course there were uh Paul Revere and the Raiders. Have you ever even heard of them? No, I've never no, heard of those guys. Somebody. So, uh, yeah, that's when I was, wow. you know, like 12 or something. Yeah. After high school, then you go... I graduated six months early from high school mm-hmm. and um, uh, went to Mexico. I got in uh, a colleague of my mother's. Very few mothers will send their daughter, uh-huh. 17-year-old daughter, <laughs> off in a van with a 35-year-old handsome man. <laughs> was a colleague of hers but fortunately my mother did and uh i went with a one of my girlfriends marge hammer and she graduated early also and the two of us got in this van that he tricked out you know with uh kitchen i was going to uh, move from uh, syracuse to palo alto because my boyfriend was attending stanford Mm -hmm. and um i was gonna you know get go to a local college get credits and transfer to Stanford because my uh, father I mean mean, my grandparents and my aunts and uncles everybody in my family except my mom went to Stanford Hmm. so I was going to do that and so you know Aubrey our friend was going to Mexico and so we jumped in the van with him and (laughs) drove to Mexico and as we're going across the border um, we we had weed with us and we threw it out you know because we thought oh no mexico this is going to be we'll be arrested before they could not have cared less if you brought it into mexico they just didn't want you taking it out of mexico so that's what i did i went to mexico for a month and just drove weed well we we left the weed alas and and we found some more because it was mexico after all and um so we just drove around and camped and had adventures and uh Got surrounded by federales at one point. And... <laughs> there was a standoff? You had a Mexican standoff? We had sort of a Mexican standoff. The uh, Marge and I were, uh, the, they came, these federales came around. We were camping on the beach in the van. And um, they'd seen us out on the beach, I guess. And, and they went up to Aubrey, the man, and, you know, offered him a, a pair of sandals. If uh, one of us would go with them for a little while. <laughs> he thought better of that. I think I'm, you know, I'm yeah. glad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we definitely thought better of that. So uh, I think but, he was like, I got shoes. Thanks. Yeah, that's really <laughs> nice offer. Look. So, <laughs> so that's what I did. And then went to, uh, then we drove up the coast and they dropped me off in, uh, in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. And uh, I moved into the Phi Psi fraternity house with my boyfriend. Wow. So you didn't end up going to Stanford, though? I did not end up going to Stanford. I did end up going to, there's a college up there, Foothill College, and mm-hmm. they, you know, they accept credits yeah. from there. And so I, I I, didn't go to school at all for about a year. I just, for about a year and a half, I just worked and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, at a hamburger stand or did this and did theater. There was a woman named Judith Dresch who was a member of the Moscow Art Theater, and she had a theater mm-hmm. there in Palo Alto, and so I worked with her on a lot of shows. And um, and then, uh, and then uh, went to Foothill to mm-hmm. begin the process, where I did theater also. Yes. And um, at Foothill, and I did some directing there. And then, 
my boyfriend was going to take a year uh, or a semester in uh, France. And so I wanted to go too. So <laughs> I said to my mom, that's what I wanted, would like to do. And she said, well, I think going to Europe's as much an education as going to school. So I'll send you the same amount of money I'm sending you now while you wow. go to Europe. But yeah. it was a hundred dollars a month. Uh-huh. And, but it's amazing what you can do if you're enterprising with a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. I bought my own ticket and I live, ended up living in Europe for six months. Wow. And traveling all around. and uh, This is all not in the book, by the way. No, that is not in the book. <laughs> I think I better put that in a yeah, second no, edition. Super fascinating. And also, I think, super important. Because um, I, I know that what's something that's really helped me as an actor is having lived in Israel for a year. Oh, yeah. So living in another country for a year and like dealing with another culture and, and right. kind of a European lifestyle, which is very different from Very American, different. That, like, I definitely know that I can pinpoint a few moments where I'm like, I would have reacted very differently had I not had that experience. Really? So your mom was That's, dead Yeah. Your mom was dead on in saying as much as much of an education. Yes, and I think it's something that we as Americans lack a lot of uh, an appreciation for uh, the way uh, the way most of the rest of the world lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we have such a lovely even the poorest among us eat better than the poorest of the poor in many, many, many countries, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's, I know it's a, it's a very, very hard life out mm-hmm. on the street, but, but we take so much for granted the, this, this sense of entitlement that we have because we're Americans and this, you know, unremitting call of American exceptionalism that all of our politicians are talking about. Well, we're, yeah, but we're becoming slightly less exceptional, I think, in the mm-hmm. way we're handling our politics and our world a bit, you know. Yeah. But anyway, going to traveling and seeing another life, as you say. Yeah. I'm curious. Can you tell me what one of the experiences that you might have handled differently had you not gone to Israel? <laughs> Do you recall yeah. one? No, definitely. I mean, any time patience is required, Yes. I definitely, that's a muscle that you develop, you know, yeah. patience and, and, and dealing with, with difficult people. And Israelis, by design, this is not an insult. They're very proud of this fact that they can be very difficult people. Yes. <laughs> very stubborn. Um, and so living there, um, you know, I had visited on Birthright, which I'm sure you've heard of. Yes. Um, and, you know, visiting on Birthright's a whole nother experience because you're on vacation and it's like, well, whatever. But when you're living there and, you know, you're going to the market and you're, uh, you know, pay, paying yes. taxes and working a job with fellow Israelis, it's like a totally different experience. Right. And it takes a lot of patience. That's Just, good. And so anytime I have to deal with someone that's difficult on set or I have to like put up with the artistic vision of someone else and, and I kind of, you know, step back and let them have their, you know, way. Right. You know, it's like being being political in that way. That's definitely something I learned living over there. For well, sure. that's a very fine trait. And you do need that in this town. Uh, Definitely. You certainly do need patience. Yes. So that's good. Yeah. I'm still working on it. It's my lesson in this <laughs> in this incarnation, I know. And I, I guess you didn't visit Israel. I did not your, go to Israel. Perhaps I should. Maybe Perhaps that's should. what I need. Yes, maybe, maybe. I, I will be happy to recommend places for you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you come back from Europe. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I... So I came back from Europe and... Did I think another play? I think I did uh, the Cherry Orchard at this at this theater in mm-hmm. Palo Alto, and then I got a job uh, working at a 
I think this bar is still there, a place called Andy Caps. Shout out to Andy Caps. Yeah. It's at the end of Sunnyvale Saratoga Road. And um, so I got a job working there and uh, had a little love affair. And um, and then they offered me uh, like a percentage of the business to Whoa. stay. I was 20. And you, you had one. one foot out the door? Well, I, I, I it was sort of like cold water. Oh, my God. Gosh, this is like a real thing, yeah. a job, a commitment. If I take this job, I'm committing to this company and I'm committing to, you know, be here, but why not commit to what it is that I've always wanted to do and really set my cap for making a living at yeah. this? So I said, thank you, but no thank you. I finished the play that I was doing. I packed up my bags, went back to Mexico for a little while with some <laughs> friends, and uh, and then uh, came back to Palo Alto, repacked, and drove to Hollywood. Gotcha. So you went too far south, and right? Then you came back. Then like, you ended up in L.A. And then I ended up in L.A. in in the in the woods of Holly. In the woods should, of Holly. Do you have you counted how many different ways you call Hollywood? No, but I know there are several. <laughs> it's an insane amount of different <laughs> ways you call it. The woods of Holly, Holly Weird, yeah, T Town, like right. you you get creative with, <laughs> with, well, with you the know. No- nomenclature. Um, but so okay, you you arrive in L.A. Right, and you. So I had because of the play that I'd done, I I there was a man in San Francisco who had seen the play, was a photographer, took a. a you know, proof sheets, headshots of me, mm-hmm. and uh, gave me the name of five agents that I could use his name mm-hmm. uh, w- uh, when I called them. Nice. You no, know, Paul sent me, and yeah. so so I sent out five envelopes of pictures and resume, and uh, and I got one. Yeah. Pretty fast. That's great. And one of the reasons that I got it says the agent that you know took me on was because I looked like my pictures. Right. A lot of the people, you know, get over glammed up or with the post-coital glow or yeah. some sort of something, you know, <laughs> to make them more. But you got to look like you look when you walk in the room. Yeah. And so they think they're getting this and then something else comes in the door. Yeah. So this is what they thought they were getting and that's what they got. Yeah. And what that highlights is most, a lot of, most people in uh, the Woods of Holly um, don't have an imagination. Like, oh, yes. They need as little gap between oh. the picture and the real thing as possible because they can't make that leap. No, you're and, absolutely and right. And it has nothing to do with necessarily intelligence or anything. It's just things happen so fast and their days are so crazy and wild that they don't have the time to think, to hold up the picture and compare and be like, you, you are know? being far more generous than I <laughs> to them. <laughs> I think that it is a real lack of imagination. And aren't they in the creative arts? I mean, isn't that what they're supposed to sort Very of... Very true. I chalk it up to just a fast-paced lifestyle and everybody's just trying to not lose their job. Well, that's good. I mean, yeah. I say I need to go to Israel. <laughs> <laughs> I also hold the idea that Maybe there's one casting director listening to this. <laughs> right, okay. I got to keep that in mind. <laughs> That's a good point. I remember um, at one time going up for an audition early in the days, and um, and they, we love her, she's fabulous, but we need a blonde. Uh-huh. <laughs> there are wigs. There is dye asking me to dye my hair. There, you know, the fact that they can't make the leap. Yeah. But or it's also sometimes just that they, 
they're using whatever reason they can to say no thank you yeah but but it is that lack of imagination that so befuddles me in in, uh still yeah so so you arrived in so, LA. So I arrive in LA. You, you I have get, that agent. I get the agent. You look like your headshot. I look like my headshot. <laughs> I and I was st- I uh, had stayed with a girlfriend of mine uh, in Echo Park, mm-hmm. and uh, she uh, her family was in the fine arts business, and so I needed to be with people in the show business. So <laughs> I uh, at a class I was taking. I happened to mention this to the teacher, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, "Oh, I have a student who's looking for a roommate." So I got another roommate. She had a right in Hollywood. And she had just started, just met a fella who was sweet on her, and he came by while she was not home, and kept me company while I was unpacking something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had just opened a restaurant. I'm making yes. air quotes now, um, <laughs> uh, at the corner of Sunset and Vine, and it was just he just bought yeah. this old hamburger shack that had been there forever. And by the way, I believe that roommate happened to be. Joanna Kearns. Joanna Kearns, yes. <laughs> of Growing Pains. Yes, of Growing Pains. <laughs> and um, so she, he said, you know, why don't you come and work for me and I'll pay you under the t- cash under the table. And uh, and so I said, okay. And uh, and it was a day job mostly because it was just br- breakfast and mm-hmm. lunch. And a lot of people from CBS and that's uh, right there at Sunset and Vine. I think they're changing it now, but it was there then. And uh, a lot of record people would come there. A lot of people would come there. And so and the guy, Larry, uh, was, would be flipping burgers and go, uh, the owner of the stand at the time, he was flipping burgers and going, she's an actress. She's fabulous. She's what? He's never seen me do anything more than perform the act of making change. Okay. So but she's wonderful. You'll love her. And so um, a, a guy uh, from CBS, a producer, did a 10-minute story on me on a local news television magazine that aired in all of Southern California. And what, was, what was that? It was called It Takes All Kinds. Uh-huh. What was the kind of purpose of it? It was, was the purpose of just following an actress who'd come to to wow. Hollywood and... And, uh, uh, and just know. like, you know, uh, kind of... What, what's your day like? What do you do? Yeah. And they, they incorporated headshots of me and sh- showed me rehearsing with another friend of mine and, and uh, interviewed me. Wow. And yeah, so within... I arrived April 15th, tax day. And uh, by... June, I had an agent, mm-hmm. 10 minutes of film on me, mm-hmm. and was, unbeknownst to me, just about to get my first job uh, in television and my SAG card. Because mm-hmm. the cook at the hamburger stand, Larry, who'd mm-hmm. been flipping the burgers, he sold the, con- as I, to the, he sold the stand to the young man who gave me the job, and then went to work at the commissary at Warner Brothers and took a few of his favorite spatulas and some of my headshots and handed them out to people in line. Your first, first agent. My first, first agent. (laughs) Yes. And then, and so by that time I'd moved two doors down the street and was now doing cocktails at a restaurant, at a bar restaurant called Simply Blues. It was Mm -hmm. a club and whatnot. And so I got a phone call on my service. Do you remember? Did you ever hear of an answering service? Yeah, it's like I've, doctors I've, I've have heard, them. Yeah, I've no. heard about it. Only doctors have them now. <laughs> um, but uh, I, so I got a couple of calls from this man and I did not recognize the name. And sometimes, because I just hate to hurt anybody's feelings, when guys would ask me for my phone number, I would give them my service phone number instead of my <laughs> regular phone number because I just, it would seem nicer than saying no. Yeah. 
So I did. I thought it might be one of those guys that was leaving this message. But on the third phone call, he said, Robin, this is Roe Wallerstein. I'm over here at Warner Brothers. I've got an audition for you. I've, this third time I've called. If you can't call me back soon, the train's going to have left the station. Mm -hmm. So I'm at Hot, uh, Vine and Sunset. Warner Brothers is just over Highland, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so I go, I'm all excited and I go to my boss and I say, hey, you know, we the rush hasn't started yet at all. It's only like three o'clock right now. I'll be back in an hour and I'm going to go. And he looked at me and he said, well, if you go, you don't got a job. And I said, well, I didn't come here to be a waitress. So I handed in my apron and my tray and I left and I walked over to, I drove over and um, the part was so small that I had to read another character's lines. <laughs> and uh but i got the job and it was a whole week's work because it and it was opposite lloyd bridges mm -hmm. and it was uh uh because i was the girl robber yeah so i was throughout the whole caper because uh -huh. they were you know i was perpetrating the crime and then they were chasing me and then they were catching me and so yeah. so uh but it was great so yeah. I, and that's a really important story i feel like the fact that you chose the audition over the job and I think this is a perfect time to kind of segue into what I really want to talk about with you, which, is, which is the state of, it's just, just being an actor today is not what it used to be. No. Uh, as for someone starting out, for sure. Right. Um, and I mean, you know, costs are much higher now. Yes. It's much harder to, you know, the cost of living and paying the bills so that you can afford to be alive to do the audition. <laughs> right. But still... Um, it just, I, I know a lot of friends who struggle with this whole idea of of quitting their job because it's getting in the way of letting them do what they want to do. And there's this whole, there's more actors than ever trying to be actors, it feels like. Um, and it's easier than ever to kind of get started as an actor. It's not so much easier to kind of break through, but all you need is, you know, headshots, you know, with digital photography. It's super easy. Right. Um, having an online profile, all you need is a computer and, and whatnot. And, you know, with Uber and stuff, it's easier to get around to auditions. But I think the point that I'm trying to make is just it, with the ease of becoming an actor, it's also become like super easy to get stuck, which I know you talk a lot about. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. This is where you, you, I believe that you have to, your state of mind is the most important tool yes, and that I think you have. That's in what this I'm getting town. to is that the state of mind of an actor starting out when you did is way much more is stronger and it and it's kind of you know more willing to make those risks nowadays i feel like just everyone is super afraid and and so afraid to take risks i wonder why that is i wonder why that is too because if but if you've declared yourself in this <laughs> business you're taking a risk right there you're already rolling the dice if right. you even are trying right. you're rolling the dice so either you believe you have a strong game or <laughs> you don't yeah and and there is a lot more competition and, and because I think the protections for actors are diminishing because... What do you mean by protections? Well, the, are the unions, you know, uh -huh. the merger yeah. is not really such a great thing mm -hmm. for everybody. And the, a lot of the, the board right now is more on the side of the producers than on the side of the actors. And um, so, so those protections are, are slipping away a bit. But... The, but you have to believe that you can do it or you can't do it. 
Mm-hmm. Because one of the, I mean, make it, you know, or make a career. Yeah. And that's the other thing, making, people have such a, a strong concept of what making it is. You know, you're the, you're, you're, you're um, Leonardo DiCaprio, or yeah. you're Scarlett Johansson, or you're Meryl Streep, or you're this, or you're that. But to be able to make a living as an actor is, that's making it. Having friends that you care about having people that you enjoy spending time with because even the busiest actors in the world spend more time not working than they do working. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a full tapestry of a life, then it makes you more afraid Mm -hmm. because you, you, you tend to think that this little chance is the chance. And if I don't have that, then, um, all is lost. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just feel that's why I I think I repeated in the book too the concept of the state of mind being your most important tool mm-hmm. in the town because you can be beautiful you can be talented there are plenty of beautiful talented people out there who never make it never ever make it mm-hmm. and but if you have a strong sense of of who you are and what is important and um, which is being kind and being a real person, not disconnected from everything except mm-hmm. your iPhone and your porn site and your whatever <laughs> it is that you do to connect, yeah. you know, um, then you, uh, the more connected you are with real life, Israel, Europe, living, the more full you are as a person and the more confidence you have as a person and the more certain you are that this particular audition, whether you get it or not, is not going to change your life. Mm -hmm. It's not going to change your life. You're going to get the job. It's going to be a new thing on your resume. It's good. That's a good thing because you're building. They don't call it credits for nothing. You have to give yourself credit for this. You're building, but, but it's usually the things that we put, okay. No, I'm not being very clear at this point, but, but now we're figuring it out. A lot of, a lot of what happens in this town is every, everybody's on the come, you know, everybody, everybody wants, everybody wants you to think that they have something for you Mm -hmm. or everybody's in the converse is that everybody is looking for those people who have something for them. Mm -hmm. And so we will allow ourselves to be humiliated. You know, be uh, come along with this, come to this party with me because, you know, Quentin Tarantino shows up all every time at after midnight or whatever it is, you know. And most of the time, those people, unless they're a true friend, are bringing you along just so they don't have to stand around alone, mm-hmm. you know. And as soon as somebody shows up that can do them more good than you, you're left alone at the party. So because we want things here, we come here with something in our hearts that mm-hmm. we want. And we are willing to sacrifice a lot of our dignity mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. And that's a mistake. Yeah. That's a big mistake. It And what it seems like is, uh, I feel like a lot of what you talk in, in your book about are things that are, like in sports, they're fundamentals. Like, um, you know, I had an acting teacher who would say that he had, a, he had a friend who played Major League Baseball. And it was like, what do you guys do in practice that's different from, you know, like Little League? And the guy said, absolutely nothing. It's just the coaches are better. But they still do the same things. They still work on throwing the ball, still work on hitting the ball. It's all the same thing because it's all fundamentals. It all carries through no matter what level you're at. Right. And so I feel like what your book covers are, are fundamentals, are things that that are you're in control of, you know, because you control the things you can. Right. 
And the things that you can't control, just let them go. Right. Um, and if you can just give yourselves these fundamental things, such as um, being aware of soul eaters. Right. Oh, my God. The town <laughs> is lousy with them. <laughs> um, you got to watch out for those soul eaters. But, you know, those kinds of things where it's like steer yourself on the right path and, and you'll be okay. Those yes. kinds of things. Yes. And, and the... Um... And, and trust your instincts for God's sake. Mm -hmm. Trust your instincts. If something feels wrong, you're probably right. <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we, we're told to, because we want this thing so much, we tend to just, no, never mind. Something comes up and goes, that is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. Do not do, this is not a good person. This is not a healthy situation. But yeah, but, 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 you know, he knows so-and-so or this or whatever. And so we ignore a lot of what our instinct is trying to alert us to. And we get in trouble when we do that. And the soul leaders are just, as I said, everywhere. And, mm -hmm. you know, they come in all guises. Mm -hmm. And the surest way that you can tell that you have been in the presence of a soul leader is you end up feeling less good about something you were previously feeling really good about mm -hmm. because they, the soul leaders are diminishers. Yeah. And everybody, you know, there's that charming saying, it's not enough that you succeed. It's important that others fail. That is a big, uh, mm -hmm. issue here yeah. in, in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. People are very jealous and very protective and not that generous when it comes to uh, sharing connections or, or opportunity or, or, um, or even supporting you when something great is happening to you. Mm -hmm. You know, you can tell when you, when you are happy about a job that you just did that and you're telling somebody and they go yeah that's 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 great you know where do you and then they change the subject about something mm -hmm. you know and they're not talking about you anymore they're not giving you that's why i say you also need to surround yourself you don't need an entourage you need an encourage <laughs> people around who lift you up yeah and those are the people those are the only people that you should really spend your time with yeah would you say that there are more soul eaters now than ever as well like yeah yeah i think so <laughs> although they've always been there i mean totally it's just, absolutely they're just more people are coming here now yeah you know and so uh that is why there are more soul leaders now they were always there i right. can remember i i don't i can't remember the what the situation was but i remember where i'm sitting talking to somebody in a bar i think and um probably celebrating and probably celebrating something right yeah <laughs> and um and uh i could just see them turn you know they i i was they asked me how i was i started to share something with them mm -hmm. which lasted for all of 10 15 seconds and before i knew it they were talking about themselves and bitching about how difficult it is to get an agent or a job or a or an apartment or a roommate or whatever it is just constantly affirming the negative in their lives yeah so i was really kind of you gotta go i gotta run now i just remembered i have a root canal gotta go <laughs> um but they're all they've always been here mm -hmm. and i'm amazed at how vocal they are, you know, how they don't hear themselves spouting this negativity, mm -hmm. but they are ensuring that they yeah. are going to stay stuck in negativity by constantly talking about it. Yeah. 
And one thing that you mentioned is if there's someone worthwhile and you say like say something to them, and if they are someone worthwhile, then they'll accept it. And That's change. right, right. So and if not, so it's perfectly okay for those of you out there who are thinking I gotta avoid every negative person in my life. I think more so if you think someone is being negative, but they can, you know, change. They can change if, if they're a good person and and if they if they really care about you. Yeah. And if you're a friend, I mean, I think that's one of the definitions of friendship is in whatever walk of life you're in is if there's something that you see that is hurting another person mm -hmm. you call it to their attention and damn the torpedoes you know I mean you do it with love and you do it kindly but if you care about that person don't you want to help them get that big splinter out of their foot mm -hmm. you know and if they rebuff what you say then yeah. spend whatever time you want to spend with them uh, but limit it, you know, because that stuff will get on you, yeah. you know, and <laughs> you don't want that. Yeah. Um, would, and also, um, back to the idea that there's more soul eaters than ever, I feel like also the the whole wave of social media oh. has created, <gasps> oh. it's much easier for people to kind of fall down that, that rabbit hole of negativity with the instant gratification of the internet and the instant ability to just post a comment. Right. That's super critical and right. the kind of anonymity of it. Isn't it? Right. And it's, it's bullying and it's, 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 you know, it's like kicking the dog mm -hmm. just because you feel bad. And, and it has, as you say, anonymity to it. You know, I mean, even if it's your Facebook page or something, you, I don't understand. It, Go ahead. No, it's just, there's, a, there's enough distance where yes. you feel like because you can post it on the internet. Right. It's not, you won't have someone come at you in your face. Right. So yeah. it, this reminds me of a story. I, my, one of my first long relationships here in California was with a comic and, um, and he's pretty well known. And, um, we're driving down the road in Beverly Hills and some, and some guy, we're stopped at a light and some guy does something really obnoxious, like says something, hollers or does something really, really obnoxious. And Gallagher gets out of the car, out of our car. So it was Gallagher. And we're for those of you who are wondering. And, and, and he walks up to the guy and he goes, and he's, you know, very. Anyway, <laughs> he walks up to the guy and he says, you think that you're safe right there? You know, you can holler. The guy's rolling up his windows. You think this window is going to protect you from being an asshole? No. You know, and the guy was terrified, but, but he... he Gallagher didn't do anything except just confront him. He didn't break out his, his no, sledgehammer. No, he did not. He did not. <laughs> and he, but all he did was confront him for his bad, for the mm -hmm. other driver's bad behavior. Mm -hmm. And um, and this is what we don't have now because of the social media. You're not confronted. Mm -hmm. You know, you say can say outrageous and awful things, and no one is going to confront you about it. Mm -hmm. And this. The sense of anonymity, the sense of separateness. That's that's why I was saying earlier about the t fabric of your life and the, the the having people around and being connected. Don't do your banking online. Do it in line. Go there and relate to other human beings, especially if you're an artist. You know, you don't uh, you don't get more enlightenment or better sitting in a corner contemplating your navel. You do it by learning the world, mm -hmm. by seeing different kinds of people and different situations of relationship and uh, good treatment and bad treatment. But you don't do it 
walking down the street on your phone. We are, it's, it's a brilliant thing that we have this, but it is also, um, that we have this kind of connectivity available to us, but it is also hugely isolating. We were out last night at, for celebrating our anniversary and we were at a club, great music being played. Mm -hmm. It was the piano bar in Hollywood. And, <laughs> um, and there were these two people sitting at a table on their phones. They may have been texting each other. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but there's this, we isolate ourselves. And, and that is a very, very bad thing. And we also, with this constant, you know, messaging and whatnot that everyone can do, you know, it's always about this, you know, this fabulous meal that I'm having or this wonderful place that I am and all these great things that I'm doing that you're not. Mm -hmm. You know, this constant measurement of feeling that we need to live up to. Yeah some somebody else is like they're having making all the money and having all the sex and we're just sitting here doing nothing you know and we have to it, it's ridiculous you know they've done studies psychological studies that college students are depressed very depressed much more depressed than they used to be because of social media mm -hmm. because of this constant comparing their lives to mm -hmm. others yeah and it's and that is another very great danger here in hollywood is is comparing your career or the arc of your career to anyone else's yeah. because it's just psychological poison to do that because yours, nobody gets your job. You get your job yeah. and you should never say at an audition, Oh, I lost that job. No, you can only lose a job you were hired for and fired from. Mm -hmm. And that happens to all of us at one point or another. It's yeah. happened, you know, so you, you can't, you can't compare yourself to what other people are doing how far along the ladder they are there's always somebody ahead of you because they started before you and maybe had better breaks than you at that moment but it ain't over till it's over you know and yeah um i'm gonna throw something out there that I, i've told this to a few people and it always seems to like surprise them and i'm really curious for your take on it but when when people ask me about acting or anything and they're like and they're like, how's it going? I'm like, oh, it's good. And they'll, they'll be like, oh, you're, you're so good at it. Like, you know, they'll be like, they'll talk about my acting abilities. And I just come back to them and say, and, and they're like, oh, it'll happen for you. And I'm just like, I feel like as an actor, acting is the smallest amount of being an actor. It's like the percentage of time spent acting is, is the lowest out of everything else. You know, everything else is the, the you know, going to auditions or, yes. or just being a nice person or right. doing living this, your life, living your life. And so I, I assume you're, you're nodding your head in agreement with this, with this idea that, you know, a, a lot of actors come to LA and they think everything's going to be great because they can act when in reality, like I said, acting is the smallest percentage right. of being an actor. Oh my God. They're incredibly gifted people out there who can't get arrested. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it, you, this is, you're absolutely right. It, that goes to what I said earlier about even the most constantly working actors don't work more than they do, you know, and it doesn't seem that way sometimes, but, but they, there's downtime and you have to have that. And acting is, you know, I, I also say that the audition is the job mm -hmm. because that's what you're sure of. That's all you've got those minutes in that room to do what it is that you do and either you get it or you don't there that's there's that's the only two possible outcomes mm -hmm. you know and um so 
you have to look at that as you went to work. You worked. If you went on an audition, you just went to work. Celebrate it. <laughs> have something fun to do after every audition. Yeah. Somebody interesting to meet and, or someplace fun to go um, afterwards. Because you just went to work and you have to celebrate that because there are a thousand actors out there who didn't have that audition. Who would have loved to have had that audition. So that's a little bit of the acting that, that you say the 10%. Yeah. You know, that's a little percentage of that 10%. But even that, in the audition, it's not so much about your acting, but more, you know, your attitude. Were you on time? Oh, yes. Were you nice to the person when you yes. signed in? And, like, I, I can count so many more things yes. that you spend doing at an audition that's not acting. That right. goes into the, the decision, so yes. to speak, you know? Yes. I think you're right about that. Yeah. You heard that, people. I'm right about it. <laughs> He's right. Andrew's right about this. <laughs> Listen to that. Cool. Um, well, also, on that note, see, I I was very fortunate to fall into this class that I was in for the last year and a half. I, I unfortunately left recently. It, I was very fortunate to fall into that class because that's kind of where we, where I started to realize this whole idea that acting is only a small part of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we did focus most of the time on scene study and doing scenes. But we also learned a lot of things like like networking or or just keeping yourself motivated and, and yes. learning to look through all the fog of this business. Yes. And I feel like a lot of actors also fall into classes that aren't they're not as fortunate. That they fall into classes that only focus on the acting and it's this kind of this negative feedback loop of, you know, acting and acting and acting and acting and acting and you never work on the whole being an actor. Right, right. And they, those people I fear, I feel, fall into the trap or risk falling into the trap of becoming professional students. Right. Because there are, because it feels good to do that scene, to get that work, to go out afterwards and say, yeah, that moment that really worked between us. That's, oh, next time we could try this. You know, that is one of the greatest joys of performing as far as I'm concerned is the recap you know <laughs> while you're doing your great night in the theater yeah. something fabulous a moment where that really landed that thing you said was golden and I heard something new in it and so responded in a different way that's great and and that feeds you I am now <laughs> tapping my arm like a junkie um, and uh, but you you're correct about that uh, sort of the negative loop there are also act, acting teachers out there who become gurus and and students because this is such a self-starting kind of business you know we're like little entrepreneurs each one of us you know mm-hmm. and uh, they want the approval actors want approval and so they they want the approval of this person because that's what we're here for i mean we're here to be approved of and be employed that's what we think so if they're in a class with a teacher that either, you know, gives them the approval they want or the punishment that they secretly want, you know, uh, they, uh, they stay there and that's where they're getting their food, their, their creative food. Mm -hmm. And so they don't go out into the world really to try. Mm -hmm. And that's okay if that's what they want. But if they're serious about having a career, you have to get out and you have to audition and you have to do plays at the smaller theaters around here Mm -hmm. and don't let the you know, that false snobism of New York versus L.A. I've seen stinkers and <laughs> and gems in both co- on both coasts, yeah. in big theaters and small. You know, so actors act. Mm-hmm. That's what actors do. They act. So you, um, when they're not living their life, yes. <laughs> you know, that's what yeah. they have to do. 
so you were very fortunate to to uh yeah glean that from the class and if that's the the if that is what you got out of the class then you scored in a major way you know cool well i i think we'll start wrapping it up here okay um i mean I definitely want to know, I mean, is there anything that you've worked on recently where we're going to see you? Or Yeah, there's a, a movie coming out. I don't know when it's coming out. We just finished shooting it in Mississippi. It's called Saved by Grace. Um, and then there's an episode of a, of a Disney show, and it's going to be on in a couple of months, Austin and Allie. Okay. And I'm uh, just came from a meeting where I'm acquiring the rights to a book that I'm going to be writing the screenplay for. And, and I'm currently uh, working on another screenplay and a pilot. Oh, so you're, so you're writing a lot. I'm writing a lot, yeah. Wow. When I was young, my I wrote, I both wrote and performed from a very young age. Writing, putting words mm-hmm. together was my favorite thing. I wanted to spell from the time I was like two. My first word was zoo. I was 30. <laughs> um, but uh, so anyway, putting those words together. And so my mother also encouraged me very much in writing, but because my parents divorced and my father was the the more successful act, actor of the two um i think i became i embraced acting fully in a way to sort of bring him closer somehow metaphysically or psychologically or something but i've always written so it's really nice to get to get back into that too because it's very gratifying it's really great. gratifying and the book you know so uh, yeah definitely. so yeah. I, that was really fun awesome. to, to write Cool. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Disney because I have a small uh, kind of fanboy moment. Yes. You were in Brink. I was. <laughs> you, you were Andy Brink Brinker's mom. I was. I and was. when I when I saw that on your resume, I geeked out. <laughs> I loved that movie. I, the, that was such a that was such a great time of Disney Disney yeah. Channel original movies. Yeah. They made a, a bunch of really great ones, and it hit uh, my generation at a really interesting time. Um, I did and, several of those in that cycle when they were doing really good movies. Yeah, which, I, I did one called um, "Don't Look Under the Bed" with uh, yes. Stephen Tobolowsky. Only, uh, yeah, I so I played the mother in that the mother one. Now. <laughs> yeah, and, but she was very strange, and uh, that was fun. And Franny, then, right? Franny was the girl. Yes, Franny. Yeah, I remember that. And I, with the boogeyman. It yes, was all about the right, boogeyman. Yeah. Franny. Yeah, and Stephen <laughs> Tobolowski played the my husband. Oh, wow. And uh, and then another one was uh, "Read It and Weep," which was about a personal diary. Yeah. That uh, so I played the New York agent for the book. <laughs> so it was just that was fun. So yeah, there were a lot. So yeah. I, and I people will still say they'll stop me. And go, <laughs> You were in Brink, right? So <laughs> it's yay, crazy. that's very nice. I like yeah, that. Yeah, um, and and I, I wanted to ask you kind of about working on those because they're obviously content-wise, you know, they're for kids and they're. I don't want to. I feel like fluff is not the right word, but they're like they're they're feel good and they're, you know, they're they they're not meaty. I right. Feel like. Right. I, how was it for you working on that and and when you work those jobs where it's like. There's not a whole lot of meat there because it's kind of a feel-good story, you know. Well, it you know, it, you get to show um, different types of personalities in the world, and you get to put your spin on them. Right. For instance, in Read It and Weep, she was this fast-talking agent who was kind of obnoxious, and <laughs> and um, and so you get to be that you get to represent that person, and you're showing the audience 
what those people are like. So mm. it's sort of a a, uh, a cautionary tale. Yeah. You know, and and the, in Brink, there were tender moments and sweet mm. moments. You know, I remember talking at one of the scenes at the at the dinner table with my husband, who, alas, died just a couple of years after oh. we made that film. Um, and uh, we're, we're talking about the dynamics of the family and, and communicating with the children. I mean, there's, there is a, you know, it is, there's, you have the information. You do, there is a bit of meat in the candy cane. Mm-hmm. In the can, what do you call that? Cotton candy. <laughs> there is a bit of meat in the cotton candy, you know? And so... It's for me. Playing the the person is always the yeah. the fun thing to do. And for Don't Look Under the Bed, I sort of based my character on my best friend's mother, who was an anthropologist. Yeah. And um, and it, it it was fun. And there, are, you know, you you are giving lessons. You are teaching yeah. lessons to because they sort of have to. You know, yeah. they they don't want it to just be a crazy romp there you have to have a lesson somewhere in there <laughs> there has to be but a moral there has to be a moral yeah. and uh and so it was fun i love it i love i just love working yeah you know it's it's a wonderful thing to do and the to share the creative process with other people and uh and talk about it afterwards mm-hmm. and and uh find the little moments that shine those are the those are the really rewarding yeah things it's just to do because i I'm yet to experience that where I feel like I'm working on something that's kind of a part of a, a machine almost where it's like, cause like, you, you know, Brink in these movies, they were all being churned out, so to speak. They seemed like they were being churned out in a, in a kind of, a sort well, of Disney like, is kind of a factory. Right. That's what you I'm, know, and they yeah, still that's what are. I'm getting at. It's like, it's like these factory kind of produced works where, um, there's kind of a similar, well, similar vibe, you know? Well, it's teenagers. Totally, I mean, totally. It's, you know, preteens and teenagers, <clears throat> and there are some pretty basic things that are yeah. driving children at that age, you know, that yeah. uh, that are you would deal with in those movies. Yeah. So I guess what I'm getting at is, is like, it, it looking back on those, it's kind of lost on, on you, on me, in the, in, it must be in the way that they're edited or something, where it's like, you know, it seems like the actor, like, you'd, I couldn't imagine those conversations where you guys are talking about the family dynamics uh-huh. and everything, you know? It seems like... Well, you know, it, this is another thing about, um, this is one of the reasons why I encourage all people, all actors, to do theater. Mm-hmm. If they've not done it, they need to do it because it's a, it's a much better discipline than just jumping into TV or, or mm-hmm. low-budget films or whatever. Maybe, I mean, take, do, take all those jobs that you can. But um, you, get, you get to create a character from beginning to end. You get to work on that character. You get to have the reaction of an audience immediately. Um, and, uh, compared to a lot of television work, even if you get a good, good gig, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, if you're a guest star on something, for instance, it's in and out, you know, I mean, you're mostly in your trailer, you're waiting for the, your scene is your scene. The actors and the regulars on the show are usually not all that nice to you. They don't really care. You're just filling in a space right now for them. And um, when you have when you have a good rapport with the other with the other actors on the regulars on a set, that's a rarity. It really is a rarity, and it's sad to say. Um, uh, but so it is all. It, a lot of television feels to me like the cotton candy thing. 
That's yeah. why you have to make the most of what it is that you're doing and your life because the mo usually the most exciting thing about getting a guest star is it's a credit on your resume. You just worked. You get to talk <laughs> about it. And that's another thing. Every time that you work, this is part of the celebrating, you know, and the giving yeah. yourself credit. You can make one gig sound like it is a current event for like six months <laughs> yeah. because you're either, you know, oh, I just booked this thing. Oh, I just did it. And now I'm about to shoot it. Oh, we just shot it. Well, it's just it's about to come out. Oh, it was just out. Oh, I just, and it should always be, I just did. That's yeah. what you should always say. <laughs> well, last year I didn't know. I just finished the thing, you know, and, and if you get caught, you get caught. Somebody said that was a year ago. Maybe they will, but they, they usually don't. Mm -hmm. yeah. So make it last, you know, make the high times last. And, but do get your experience, your gratification as an actor. You have to get it usually elsewhere. Right. If you're yeah. lucky enough to be a regular on a series, then you have a little more to develop and to, to sink your teeth into and to, but if you do become a regular on a series, be kind to all the people who come <laughs> to support you as guest stars. Yes. Say hello. Yes. Get him a cup of coffee. Yes. You know, be nice. Well, was, my one experience with that, I mean, Charlie Sheen was very nice to me. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Charlie Sheen was not very nice to you? He was very yet. nice to me. Yeah. I say yeah. that. <laughs> he was, I worked with him, too. He was, he was very nice. That's right. You were on Anger Management as well. Yeah. Is, you did Anger Management? You yeah. did? That Was that what you said? I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't hear the name of the show. What, what yeah. would you do? Um, uh, I was stagehand. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, yeah. And it was funny because I had the headset and a clipboard. Right. And uh, Laura Bell Bundy actually thought I was a PA. <laughs> So when the when the assistant director introduced me to her, she like she was weird about it. And then when he when he sat me down next to her in my my chair, you know, right? Um, he she she starts laughing because she forgot in the script. Oh, that there was a stagehand. Oh, and she she said I, she was like I was this close to ordering an Earl Grey tea from you. <laughs> um, but no, she was super sweet. Yeah, and, she was very sweet. Too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's about it. I mean, is there Can anything... Can I push my book? Absolutely. So, so um, it's called A Survivor's Guide to Hollywood, and you it costs the same anywhere you get it, at Samuel French or, or at uh, Skylight Books or on Amazon. But if you go to robinriker.com, uh, I can autograph it for you. Oh. And uh, nice. send it out. Very nice. Um, and I will say I, I recommend the book totally to anybody who wants to you know, learn about the world of acting because it's, it's an actual survivor's guide. I, I approve it. I, you, Thank you. A it has stamp the, of my approval. For over seal of approval. Yes. Yay. Yay. I'm very glad to have Well, no, that. when I was reading it and like I said, I was fortunate enough to fall into this class. It was all kind of the same things that we've talked about in the class about like ah. relying on yourself for, you know, kind of keeping yourself buoyed in this yes. crazy mixed up right. world. Your state of mind is the most important tool you have in this Absolutely. Style. Yes. With that, I guess, uh, it's just time for the sign-off. Okay. This has been Sidekick That Radio. Watcha!